Amen. I want to draw us back together. Is that it? That's the holy cords. It's hanging. It's, I like it. <laughs> it's always got to be a holy cord to finish with. That's good. Church, we, we don't always know how long each of the parts of our meetings are going to last. That's kind of the beauty of when we gather in this way. But we do know that when we gather like this, we want moments in which we're collectively declaring the goodness of God together, that we're all on the same page. That's what takes a bit of time at the beginning of the meeting, if you work that out. Sometimes it takes a bit of time to all get on the same page as each other. Because we all turn up with different expectations, different experiences, different hopes, different desires of what song we start with. You know, let's say it. <laughs> but we do, and what we need to do is we spend that little bit of time saying, come on, we all got to get on the same page. We're all here to meet and encounter God's. And then you get those moments, you can feel it as leaders in the room. You can feel when people are on the same page as each other and you think, I think people are there now. They remember why we're here. They remember why we're gathered. And then it's that beautiful part that once we realise why we're gathered, we then want to open our ears up to listen to what God's got to say to us. Because we're here for him. We're not really here just to catch up with friends. We're here to encounter God. And so in those moments, we then listen to what God says. And then we always want time when we realise we're a community of believers this isn't just me and my personal relationship with Jesus. This is me as part of the body of Christ here in this town. So I feel part of this, my friends, with my family, the people I care about. And then in that moment, we say, amazing, we've, we've communed with each other, we've built each other up, we've encouraged each other. And then there'll always be a bit where we need to get lost, get out of here, <laughs> scatter, go. <laughs> We're not meant to just lurk in this place the whole time. That's the point. <laughs> It's to come and encounter God, to gather with each other, to listen to him, to commune and to mutually encourage and spur each other on and to strengthen each other's faith and then get lost. Go into the town that we live in. We're not meant to just live in small Christian bubbles where we live in the holy cloud all of the time. We go. So look, every car that drives past is another person who might not know Jesus. And they're driving past every 30 seconds, every 10 seconds, driving past on a roundabout. We live in a town full of people who don't know the good news. We want to go. We want to tell people about him. We want to see and encounter God, not just in this building, but in the world and in the communities, in the workplaces and in the streets and the neighbourhoods that we live in. And so as a result, what book are we going to read together? Well done. Come on. <laughs> the clue's in the title. It's about action. This is a book about acts. And Sam's a beautiful man. Where is he? Where's Sam Arnold? Did you enjoy colouring things in this week? Sam's job is he's a big colouring inner. That's what he is. My dad was a colouring inner. He's a graphic designer. Sam's a graphic designer. He's basically a glorified colour inner. So if your kids are really good at colouring in, talk to Sam, follow his career. Um, was that rude? Yeah, my, okay, sorry. I know Sam well enough. Other graphic designers, I'm sure it's a, well done. Um, but I know Sam well enough. But no, it's, it's just beautiful because Sam does. Sam, obviously, we chat about what we're going to preach from and we talk about the book and we talk about the heart behind it and why do we feel this is the right diet to eat in this time for us as a church. And then Sam just grabs hold of it and tries to visually display it to us and that grabs it. It's in our town. That's, that's Eastbourne. That's where we live. That's our, that, what a place to call home, eh? What a beautiful place. Well done for if you, if you moved out of Croydon and lived there. So, um, 
But it is, look at this beautiful place that we live in. But it's not just beautiful because of sunsets and beaches and downs. And it's beautiful because people live there and people are precious to Jesus. And he longs to display his goodness in the heart of communities. So that's what we're called to be. We're called to be people that, that, that act, that, that live out faith in action and display it to the world to see. So that's actually why sometimes I might get a bit animated about sing a bit louder, lift your voice, smile when you sing. Because the, the good news of the gospel shouldn't just be good news intellectually. It should be good news physically to you. It should actually make you joyous. It should actually make you smile. It should actually make you rejoice and, and celebrate. Colin Belsey turned up with a sore throat this morning because his team beat Man United 4-0 yesterday. <laughs> and, and why? Because he cares about them. And so he turns up with a sore throat because he sings his heart out. They don't get to do that very often. They only score 12 goals a season until yesterday. They score four at once. And as a result, he lives in the good of it. And he turns up this morning affected by yesterday's event. And so we should be the same as Christians. We should be people that, are, are, if you walk out of church with a sore throat, maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> maybe it's a good thing that you get the sweat on and that you need to bring your deodorant while you're here because it's, it's, it's a physical part of being gathered. That we're not, we were laughing yesterday, we were listening to old Stonely classics of just, they knew how to have a bit of joy. It's cheesy, but there's joy in it. And sometimes, come on, let's set the full range of emotion. If it's tears, if it's laughter, if it's celebration, if it's clapping, if it's cheering, but whatever it would be, we're meant to be people who act on our faith, not just have a personal faith for Jesus that only affects my quiet time devotional moments. It affects the way that I live, affects the way I talk, affects the way I work, affects the way that I, I, yeah, I live out my faith amongst people. So, okay, preamble, done. Um, we're going to, why are we doing this? So we have a vision as a church, and have we got a slide just about some of these vision things? So if, if you just read that there, I didn't bring my glasses today, so I'm going to wander closer to the screen. Um, our vision is to advance God's kingdom. We're going to use every means possible. We're going to proclaim the gospel, and we're going to equip every household to grow as disciples of Jesus. We aim to achieve these three things. These are the things that we want to do. We want to gather. We want to gather to family and to friendship. We want midweek groups. We love them. We believe in them. We want a church full of groups, small groups. We want to be a church of groups that gather with each other and they worship God. We want to monthly have a good old meal together. And thank you for May. The May feast, was, there was so much food here. I loved it. I got to the end of it and I thought there's too much food left over. That's the kingdom. The kingdom is not measly and there's not enough to go around. The kingdom of God is always beyond what we need. So thank you for abundance in food. And we want to be vibrant. We want a vibrant community life in all that we do. So we want to first and foremost gather. That's why we're like this. That's why we're gathered in a big room. That's why we're not having multiple meetings all the time. We're gathering with each other. We're remembering what it is to be family and friends. We like each other. Oh, was that an awkward laugh, Aggie? Or was that, no, that was a genuine laugh. We love each other. We more than like each other. Actually, I might not even like you, but I do love you. <laughs> oh, there's a challenge. There you go. Um, but we do, we want to gather as family. We want to be friends with each other. We want to grow. It's, very, it's great to gather, but in this place, we want to be growing in our character. We want to grow in our gifting. We want every church member, every part of this body, to regularly use the spiritual gifts. No, no, no observers here. No just watchers from the side saying, oh, you do that thing, don't you? No. 
We all use the spiritual gifts that God has given to us. We pray. We read the Bible with others because we believe that they're the things that cause you to grow as a disciple of Jesus. Regularly reading your Bible with someone else. Do it. If you don't do it, feel provoked. Read your Bible regularly with someone. Pray regularly with other people. Use spiritual gifts with others. Grow in those things because we want to grow up into maturity. We don't want a church of babies. We want a church that is mature and strong and healthy and full of the Spirit of God in all that we do. So we've got to commit to doing that with each other. It's all well and good as leaders to say it, but we must collectively say, we're going to grow in this. And growth takes action. And then finally, we're going to go. So we're going to gather. As we gather, we're going to grow with each other, and then we're going to go. We're going to go in mission and service. I love this church. I love how, how it loves to serve the town. I love the Love Eastbourne stuff. I love the random acts of kindness we show. I love the overflowing generosity of the people of God. I love the amount of people who volunteer here, both in church and outside of church. I love that we're community-minded. And that's who we want to be. We want to go in mission and in service. We want everyone, and again, not just, to, not just to bind up people's feet and care for their physical needs. We want every member of this church to be able to share your story with other people. Your story is powerful. What Holland shared this morning, there's power in personal testimony. Because when you share it, you say, God has been good to me personally. And if he's been good to me, he can be good to you. Because I'm no different. I'm not special. There's nothing, no, there's, there's nothing here that's just, I'm more special than you. We're all special in the eyes of God, and he loves us. And so we want to be able to share our stories of God's kindness and goodness, and then we want to actively serve people of action who go out, who see need, and don't just say, oh, there's a need, but that we step into it and we'll fulfill it. So these are the things. Church, can we just say amen to some of this stuff? So are we going to gather to family and friendship? Amen. <laughs> Are we going to grow in character and gifting? Amen. Are we going to go in mission and service? Amen. Amen. I agree. I'm with you in this. We believe in it collectively together. Otherwise, it's just words. It's just a nice tag phrase that Sam will pop on a website somewhere. That is not, we're not interested in just empty websites that say stuff. We want things that when you cut the cake, the middle of it is what you say it is. We want to taste that's what the New Testament, that's what we're going to read about over these next few months, actually probably longer. When are we ever going to finish Acts? Probably not. <laughs> I don't know. But as we do, we want, to, we want to see, taste, get to know what the early church looked like, and we want it to be experienced here in Eastbourne with us as well. So that's the sort of people we want to be. We spent a bit of time uh, in the book of Joshua before Easter. And the reason we spent some time in Joshua is we just felt that was all about preparation, getting ready some heart stuff, being holy, being set apart, being devoted to God, being obedient to God, doing what he calls us to do, remembering that we're his people and he's our gods. And Joshua helped us in that. It's a hard book, but it was a, really, it was a brilliant book in reading it. Old Testament story, God's people being prepared. But whenever God prepares his people for decades, he's saying, I've prepared you so you will be ready for action. Prepared for decades, ready for action. They were prepared for 40 years in a desert place, ready for action of walking into promised lands. We as a church, this church has been here about 36 years. We're approaching 40 years. A generation, a lifetime prepared. Yeah, and, and God's been kind to us. But, but we're being prepared for what he's calling us to. 
Not just prepared so they were able to say, great, we made it. Didn't we do well? Pat ourselves on the back. No, we've been prepared, ready for action. God, what's for us today? What are you calling us into now? So we want to we be open. We want to see those things in us. I just want to say this to us as well. As a church, I felt stirred by something I heard this week. You just said, we want to be a church that welcomes the world in. We want to be a church that is so, the doors are wide here. They're wide and they're open. We don't want to be closed off. We don't want to be a commune in which it's hard to find us and find your way in. We want, we want to welcome the world in, but we want to get the saints out. We want that, that's, a, that's a tricky balance to get. And churches for 2,000 years have tried to navigate. And again, the Acts, this book is going to help us get that balance between welcoming the world in and getting the saints out. And so that's what we want to spend our time doing, reading, considering, opening up God's word, learning from, from the way the early church operated, the way the Christian faith exploded onto the scene after Jesus ascended to glory. And how did the church get that balance between welcoming the world into their communities, but making sure we've got to get out of here? Go, we've got to get you out of this place. Okay, so let's, let's read together. And um, what we're going to do is we're just going to, we're going to read through Acts 1. I'm going to then talk through it backwards. And then this morning, not actually backwards, that would be really hard. Um, but I'm going to go back through it in the opposite direction from the way it's written. And then what we're going to do is I'm going to give an opportunity for us to receive this morning. So just prepare your hearts now. I'm just going to pray, actually, because there's, this has got a massive invitation in it. And the invitations of God, they always desire and expect a response. They're not just empty invitations. So I'm going to pray now that actually you would feel stirred this morning, that we would feel stirred to respond to God and receive something. Not just be listeners, but to be doers of the word. So thank you, Spirit of God, you're here. We're about to read your words, and your word is living and active. Thank you as we sit as your people, as we sit as your church this morning, Get to my heart, please, God. Don't leave things in my head. Get them deep into my heart and cause each of us to desire you more. Holy Spirit, help, please. Help her. Just be moving now across this room. Help her walk amongst us. Speak to us as your people and draw us towards your response. We want to receive from you today. I'm empty. I need you again. I need to be filled by your words and by your spirit. So I pray now in the mighty name of Jesus, do these things today. Amen. 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 I wrote the first narrative, Theolophosus. The, I could never, I was trying to say it a few weeks, three times a week. Theophilus. I'll take it as that. I can't, I can't, I'm not very good with my T's. I'm sorry. <laughs> About all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up. After he'd given instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After he'd suffered, he also presented himself alive to them. Wow. Presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he, Jesus, was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you've heard me speak about, for John baptised with water, but you will be baptised with this Holy Spirit in a few days. 
So when they come together, gathered, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or periods that the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of Eastbourne, the ends of the earth. (laughs) And after he said this, he was taken up as they were watching and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? (laughs) Because Jesus just went in a cloud into, I don't know. (laughs) Okay, why do you stand looking into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, he will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They were all continually united in prayer, along with the women including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. The number of people who were gathered was about 120 and said, brothers and sisters, it was necessary that the scripture be fulfilled, that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David foretold about Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was one of our number and he shared in this ministry with us. Now this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. I'm sorry about this bit. He fell head first. His body burst open and his intestines spilled out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem. So that in their own language, that field is called Hakaldama. That is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms. Let, this, let his dwelling become desolate. Let no one live in it and let someone else take his position. Therefore, among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out amongst us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, from among these it is necessary that one becomes a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias, Then they prayed, you lords, you know everyone's heart. Show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic ministry that Judas left left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots for them and the lot fell on Matthias and he was added to the 11 apostles. And that is the word of God. So we're going to read a bit this morning. So we're going to consider and I'm going to just talk backwards through now. So narrative story, Luke, and again, if you're, if you're really new to the Christian faith, a great place you can start is reading the Gospel of Luke, because it will tell you the life and account of Jesus, and then it spills out into Luke part two, which is Acts. Same author, 
tells us a bit about the continuing story, reminds us Jesus was amongst us. He did great works. He ascends to heaven on a cloud and that one day he's going to return. But now his disciples are waiting. And if you know the story, Judas, that's why people get called a bit of a Judas, a, a betrayer, an outsider. Judas had betrayed Jesus, kissed him on the cheek, revealed his identity to people that wanted to arrest him and kill him, betrayed the one that he loved and that he'd been alongside with, and then as a result took his own life because of the shame that he felt in that moment. Took the money that he'd been given for betraying Christ and bought a field and took his own life in that field. And so they're relaying this story and they're saying, but actually, why do we think the 12 is a significant number? Well, part of it is this fulfilment of looking back, there were these 12 tribes and actually there's this thing of these 12 apostles that were in the beginning. So who are we going to bring in as this 12th witness that's going to take Judas's place at the table? And so the reason I want to go backwards on it is because I want to go through that part of the story and then return back to the very beginning when Jesus speaks to his people and talks about receiving power of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is really interesting. And Martin said to me this week, listen to this phrase. So you've got Joseph Barsabbas and you've got Matthias that are there. And both of those characters have been there from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, but neither have been chosen as an apostle in the first place. Just, like, just for a moment, just consider moments in your life when you've, you've been in the running for something. You're qualified, but you haven't been chosen. They're interesting moments, aren't they, in your own personal life? When you've turned up and you've thought, okay, I feel like I'm qualified. I'm here. I'm no different to this person, but I wasn't chosen. Do we remember, like, you know, lining up moments on the football team at school? <laughs> I wasn't chosen. I didn't get picked to join the gang. <laughs> These two characters stayed. They weren't chosen to be part of the 12, yet they stayed. They put aside their feelings, probably their grievances. I wonder what they thought of. And you picked Peter. You picked him. How did he make it over me? I wonder if they sometimes had little backstabbing comments to each other. I don't know. They don't see us bits. But these two characters emerge. But all they've done is they've remained faithful, even when they were overlooked. Remained faithful all the way to this point. But then I just want you to take special mention of Joseph Barsabbas. Because Matthias was qualified, but he wasn't chosen. Joseph Barsabbas then gets it. He hasn't been chosen in the original 12, and now he makes it down to the final two on The Apprentice. You know, Lord Sugar's got his final two that are standing before him. There's a 50-50 chance he gets to get in on one of the apostles. He gets, and this was Martin's phrase, he gets nominated by his peers. The peers welcome him. Who doesn't choose him for the role? God. Whoa. <laughs> they cast lots for it. He's not called by God to do that thing. It's just an interesting moment, isn't it? Because sometimes we can feel like, but all my mates told me it was the right thing to do. And I thought it was the right thing to do, but God hasn't chosen me for it. And if God hasn't chosen us and called us into something, don't pursue the things that God hasn't called you into. Because actually we all know that when God calls us, he also gives us grace to what he calls us to. And what do we see in Barsabbas again? Now, we were trying to find out if he re-emerged. And there's, you can search and dig and find. There's maybe accounts that he pops up again in the story. But I can imagine, but Joseph Barsabbas just says, it's okay. I rejoice in Matthias. He's taking that place. But I'm going to carry on serving the Lord. I'm just going to carry on being 
faithful. There's one of those people who maybe don't know Jesus. <laughs> but we do, and it's just that little moment that's in there. And actually, I just wanted to take this moment because on, on, Friday, on Wednesday evening this week, Clive joined our eldership team. And so I just wonder, could, could those of us that have been called to eldership, could we just stand together in this place? And this is a bit awkward in some senses because I love that this is a team that God has called to a role of eldership. And I thought Martin did an outstanding job last week. He's just trying to explain what we, yeah, thank you, what we believe in the role of elders and deacons in this place. And we had to really journey and wrestle through this because even when we were talking about who are we going to appoint as deacons in this place, in some sense, we're all deacons. We're all servants of the living God. But yet we also believe that God calls and chooses and calls people into appointed roles and tasks that he has for them. I just want you to love and honour these guys as elders in the life of this church, something they've been called to by God. So it's a role, and they've, as a result, been given grace to carry that responsibility. And actually, we've had to have discussions with people who maybe haven't been called to that task. Some people that might desire it. And the beautiful thing is, you read that list of Timothy and Titus, and you realise, we should all be qualified to be elders. We should, we should all be not drunkards, and we should all be people who, who, are, who are not quick in anger, and we're not quarrelsome. We should all, that, that list, the qualifications should be something that's of all of us. Maybe there's parts of a distinct role of teaching into the life of the church, but you look at the list of deacons and elders and you say, actually, we should all be qualified, yet we also believe that God calls. So please pray for us. And as well, I, just, I wanted to publicly do this because I just want to say there may be times when I bet there's people in this church that sat in there and thought, I thought I might have been called to that. I thought that God was going to call me into that thing. And please, let's... Let's lovingly talk and receive what God's called us into. So can I just, just, I'm just going to take a moment to pray again. I just want to pray, Lord. I thank you for this team that you've gathered together. God, I thank you for elders. I thank you for deacons. I thank you for pastors. I thank you for teachers. I thank you for evangelists in this church. I thank you for prophets. God, I thank you you call us into the roles that you've given us. So Lord God, I pray, Holy Spirit, release us in the callings that we have been given. God, will we live in them? Would we receive them and would we trust you to give us the grace that we need to serve your glorious church? In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. Okay, thank you. So we're going a bit backwards on that. So there's sort of this interesting part and I just wanted to go one, one more little thing in the end of that story. That in the Old Testament, the practice of casting lots was quite a common practice. You read across the Old Testament, there'll be, there'll be places when they'd ask God's guidance. For certain, you think, we don't do that. I'm, I, I didn't, funnily enough, even with appointments and roles and things that are going on here, cast lots and say, I'll tell you what, let's put eight sticks in there and Clive will be one of the sticks and if we pull him out, da, 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 the Lord has guided us to Clive Chernick. Like That's just not the way that we, we operate now. But you might think, well, that's in the Bible, so why don't we do it? So the Old Testament is full of it and actually there's 70 times that the Old Testament talks about the casting of lots for it to take place it continues into the New Testament but in the New Testament you ready it only happens seven times interesting just numbers seven completeness times of it being done this is the seventh time that it takes place and it never happens again it's the final time that the casting of lots takes place in God's word. 70 times in the old, seven times in the new. And now from this moment, it's not a practice that's spoken about again. Why? Go on, talk to your neighbour next year. Go on. Let's go. 30 seconds. Why? Why has it stopped? 
Why aren't we casting lots? Have a guess. Answers on a postcard. What has changed? What has gone on? Just so you know, I'm going to pick someone random as well to give their answer. Now's the time to go to the toilet if you don't want to get picked. Come on, 10 seconds, what we got? Ready. And the giant casting of lots, as we're now in this moment, trying to work out how he'll be picked, is Paul Harvey. Paul, come on, my friends. Big, loud voice. Paul's got a loud voice, you see. Why? Why has it stopped? No oh, Paul! Come on! That was your moment! Oh, come on! Rob Jordan, was that you in there? I, can't, I haven't got my glasses, but I'm guessing I can see a beard, so I'm going Rob. ZZ Top Beard. Holy Spirit's come. So who, who do they come now before to make decisions like this? The Holy Spirit. And where is the Holy Spirit now living in their hearts? Is they've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they don't need to now consult through casting of lots and wondering how the Spirit's going to guide them because the Spirit is now at work in them. From this point, they then go back to the upper room. We're getting to it. Clive, you're chomping at the bit, aren't you? You're ready to go. The upper room's coming. They can't wait because all of a sudden the Spirit, the Spirit of God now is in them. They now are equipped and enabled because God is at work in their own hearts to decide for themselves, to make good godly decisions in line with the Spirit, in line with how he calls them to, to feel that sense of, I feel at peace with this because God's calling me to it. And I know, you know when you're in step with the Spirit and you know when you're out of step with the Spirit. You do. Don't pretend you don't because you do. You know when you're out of line with the Spirit. You know when you're doing something, you're thinking, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is at work in you. The light of faith has been turned on. The the gas mark has been turned up. The Spirit goes, and you know, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be here. Shouldn't be speaking like that. You might not want to do it. That's a different thing. But you know, you know right and wrong because the Spirit of God is guiding you. He's at work in your heart. And there's times you don't need someone else to tell you sometimes. You just need to come before God. That's why sometimes we need a bit more reverence and quietness. Because if you quiet your heart before God, well done if you wriggle off that hook. You don't. You sit there and you think, oh, okay, I might be able to avoid Andy telling me off again or Terry telling me off. But I can't get away from God. Because he sees and he knows. Because the Holy Spirit's at work in me now. And he's kind, but he disciplines those that he loves. It's how we know. We were reading it yesterday, weren't we? It's how we know we're legitimate children. Illegitimate children don't get disciplines because they're someone else's. I'm not going to discipline you. You're not my kid. Legitimate children get disciplined by God. And he lovingly changes you and transforms you by the power of the Holy Spirit working in your heart. So where do we land? And this is where we're getting to now. Jesus says to them, wait for the Father's promise. Go back and wait. I'm going to send him. The helper's coming. You need to wait for the Father's promise. For you will receive power to be my witnesses. So wait to receive. 
Be obedient, go. Go to the place I'm sending you to go to. Wait there, receive. Now what's interesting is because in this moment, they had to wait because the Holy Spirit had not yet come. We're 2,000 years later today. Has the Holy Spirit come and gone again? No, he's come. So is he here today? So am I called to wait or am I called to receive? Receive. We don't live in a period of waiting anymore. We receive. It's an interesting, because we do, and I get it. Sometimes we'll say, let's just wait on God. I, I do get that. I, I get what we're saying there and we will have moments of it. But let's just realize sometimes we're not waiting to see if God's going to show up. We're not waiting to see if God wants to bless us. We're not waiting to see if we're going to receive power. We're receiving now. So we receive power. And power to what? Not power to go and punch through walls. Not power to jump over ceilings. Not power, power to be witnesses. Witnesses of the living gods. You are a witness. You witnessed the crime. You saw it. You know about it. You've been called to the dock to give an account of what you saw. That's a witness. And you can say, I don't want to be a witness. Don't call me up to the dock, please, Lord. I don't want to do it. But you're a witness. You've been called up. And you've been called to this place that we live in to be witnesses of the power of God, of the testimony of Jesus, of the resurrection life to come. Witnesses of his but to do it, and you, I know we'll feel weak at times. And that's why he says to receive power to be witnesses. Your mentor arrives sometimes going, I can't do this. I'm not very good at telling people my story. I'm not very good at, I'm, I get shy. Aha, <laughs> that's the point. But you can receive power to receive it. So now in this moment, come on, who wants to receive power? Stand up. Come on, let's stand. You're, you're not standing to me. You're standing to the one who's made you a promise. Look at this. And I, I receive like that. I don't receive like that. I receive like that. So I'm just, I'm, we're going to receive. We receive power today. This is a room full of witnesses of the living God. Empower us. Come on. Just pray now. Receive. Holy Spirit wants to fill you up again. You've invited him. You just stood up. No one forced you to do that. You're standing before the living God. Pray. Don't wait for me to pray to him. Just ask God, fill me today. Lord, I want you. One more of you in my life, Lord. I want to be a good witness. Living God. Spirit of God, move amongst us now.